the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 393. I'm Paul Spain and guest today is Andrew Blakely. Welcome along, Andrew. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Now, maybe you can fill listeners in where you fit into this world of technology in New Zealand. Absolutely. Uh, So I'm currently working as the uh, development manager at uh, TVNZ, uh, and my job there is looking after the uh, online team responsible for the uh, TVNZ On Demand and One News Now products. That's great. Well, look forward to delving in uh, and and learning a little bit more about what that that looks like during the show, Uh, but lots of topics to talk about today. Uh, autonomous vehicles and air taxis is back on the agenda. Um, some wearable fitness things, um, cyber security, and um, yeah, a fair bit to do with streaming, including uh, dramas in uh, Australia, which is uh, it's not too unusual to hear about dramas in Australia to do with uh, internet and you know having 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 um, yeah things work well. But anyway. Let's uh, let's jump in. So um, first up, I saw some news coming through that uh, Uber Air, are, um, as an AIR, are um, looking at Auckland as a possibility for a, a, a ride-sharing service in the sky, basically. Uh, and you know, it's only just recently that uh, um, you know, I spent some uh, time learning about uh, a com- you know competing offering, which you know potentially could uh, could be flying around Auckland too in the in the not too distant future. Uh, and then we yeah we hear uh, you know, Auckland as, as potential on the cards um, alongside Melbourne or, or Sydney as a place where um, Uber Air could uh, could try out some um, some form of autonomous air taxi service. What do you think about this? Would this be a nice way to get to get to work? Certainly as someone who uh, who slogs their way through the traffic most days, I think it sounds like a pretty uh, pretty exciting idea. Um, I think I'd be uh, I think I'd be keen to give it a try. Maybe maybe I'll let a few other people try it first and make sure it's <laughs> it's looking all right, but uh, no, I think it's a, it's exciting. I think it sort of confirms New Zealand as a place that international companies are pretty keen to come out and try to uh, to try out these sorts of new products yeah although there'd be less time to listen to you to your podcasts andrew <laughs> yeah. well that would clearly be a downside but uh, <laughs> other than that you know getting to work faster and i think beating the traffic there are a lot of upsides there i guess uh, just need to probably figure out some rules about who goes where and uh, make sure we don't hit each other but uh, but yeah no, it looks looks like a very exciting opportunity and it would depend on your building too, wouldn't it? You know, I'm I'm looking at our building and and sort of thinking, well, you know, we've got a there is a there's a, a way onto the roof through uh, through the toilets or something or other. Um, so we're not probably you know fully fully geared up for that type of scenario. But there's probably enough space up there you could uh, <laughs> land something. Uh, TVNZ is probably a little bit more a uh, little bit more geared up. A little tricky. Than, than we've us. got a few satellite dishes on the roof, so you might have to negotiate your way past those. We do have um, some of the floors have got uh, reasonable kind of decks. On them, so maybe you could land on a deck and go oh, straight yeah. into your particular floor of the building. Oh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have to be a bit careful with some of those satellite dishes. You could get uh, you could get microwaved if you weren't careful. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, be a little, little careful where you're driving. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this develops and particularly how. Um, I guess you know the, the the problem with the likes of these Ubers is often that the uh, the regulators spend a lot of time playing catch up. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how how New Zealand responds from a regulatory sort of environment in terms of uh, you know balancing, I guess, uh, the the need for safety with uh, with allowing some sort of new cutting edge technologies to to be tried out here. It'd be be interesting to see how the how the government responds. Mm. Well, the uh, the commentary around this I've seen has indicated that uh, what Uber are, are looking at, which is sort of helicopter like, um, be able to accommodate up to five people. So quite um, quite different to Cora that you know that, that we've seen uh, earlier on in the year, which was initially two people. And and talking to the CEO there, Fred Reed. He was saying, "Well, yeah, they potentially could take more people in the future, but they're very focused on getting it working at that small uh, size. So you imagine you can need quite probably quite a different uh, model for mm. uh, for you know five people versus two people. You know, two people it's much more likely to be point to point. Um, five people, yeah, you might have to have a few stops along the way and hubs a, maybe a, yeah, diff- different, a slightly different type of uh, type of service. Interestingly." 
um, heard from the uh, from Chris Luxon, the uh, CEO at Air New Zealand, uh, last week, and he was talking around uh, electric vehicles, and I you know, prompted him a little bit on the, on on that front, and. Uh, yeah, he w- he was referring to the idea of autonomous air taxis with uh, with five people as being a, a possibility. So it seems like that you know they're they're wanting to uh, play in that space if there's any opportunity. Um, as you can imagine that they, you know, they would if they can uh, you know stretch out what they do. And uh, also, he seemed very interested in um, electric aeroplanes as well. And so there, you know, there's. There's some work going on in that front, which mm. is you know still maybe five years or so off, uh, where we might see electric planes going to uh, probably the smaller centres in New Zealand. I would imagine they're not uh, not going to be you know competing with uh, certainly you know flights between here and the US uh, yeah. any time in the in the short term. But um, there's there's so many interesting things going on at the moment, isn't there? Definitely. I mean, I think one of the most fascinating things here is going to be around price point. I mean. You know, I think um, it'd be interesting to see what people were prepared to pay for, um, you know, the convenience factor of a point-to-point. I mean, I guess it does, you know, potentially become a bit more like a, getting a helicopter to work, and most people wouldn't do that most days. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if Uber can bring kind of their um, disruptive sort of economies of scale. I think if they can bring those into play, then, you know, potentially you've got some interesting uh, interesting options where it's sort of helicopter-like service at a fraction of helicopter prices. Yes, yeah, that's that's certainly the opportunity. I, I mean, it does leave me wondering whether yeah, Auckland or New Zealand in, in general is is the ideal market, and certainly the, the, there's some attractiveness of New Zealand in terms of you know, regulatory wise and so on things. Are, um, yeah, there, there's probably less unnecessary red tape, mm. and you know, hopefully they've got that balance right. So we you know we we do things safely. Uh, but you know, looking at uh, New Zealand from you know other perspectives, and you know Peter Beck with Rocket Lab, you know, I think has really been able to take advantage of um, uh, there not being too many you know crazy challenges to to get through to uh, to do testing in New Zealand, and and it, and it seemed like uh, for Cora that you know it's a similar similar type of scenario. So yeah, from that perspective, New Zealand is good, uh, but whether New Zealand is the, is the place where uh, our economy maybe is is uh, strong enough for uh, us to pay top dollar for those services or yeah what not i'm i'm not sure because i imagine people would probably pay more in markets like you know melbourne and uh sydney and and new york mm-hmm. and san francisco probably than what they would uh, here in new zealand but. yeah i mean i think new zealand benefits from having as you say a, you know a tech savvy population um and you know hopefully a, a good regulatory environment but uh, propensity to pay i agree bit of a question mark there yeah yeah um, now on to other autonomous things. Uh, Omeo, who um, we've, we've chatted with earlier on in the year as well, and they're of course making autonomous vehicles here in New Zealand, but with a you know, quite a specific niche. So they're not trying to you know, make the level five car that can uh, you know, do everything and go everywhere. More uh, the shuttle, shuttle bus uh, type situation. Of course, they had their trial with uh, with Christchurch International Airport. That's been confirmed now that Christchurch International Airport are, are a paying uh, customer, so mm. they're they're buying their technology, which is is very pleasing. Uh, they've attracted um, some attention because they've just apparently signed a. Uh, a uh, twenty million US dollar deal uh, for a fifty-fifty joint uh, venture in China, which will see uh, all their manufacturing move to China and some of their research and development. So, kind of, kind of an interesting uh, move. Uh, you know, I was very curious about this stuff uh, happening in, entirely in New Zealand. It was very pleasing to hear about. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, I guess on the manufacturing front, it can uh, probably be done. Uh, at more pace and probably with less pesos um, by, <laughs> yeah. uh, by by doing it in China. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's uh, as you say, you know, great news to have a New Zealand company involved in this space. It looks like it's going to be a 
an enormous growth area. I think um, there's just so many spaces where you can think of, uh, you know, whether there are shuttle buses running people here, there and everywhere that uh, I think is a way to kind of bite off into that automated vehicle space. Um, so, yeah, f- fantastic that a New Zealand company is doing well there um, and probably logical as well to kind of help them grow and scale that they're going to partner, um, hopefully in a, a sort of a sensible way with uh, with that Chinese-based manufacturing. Um, I think... Um, you know, there've been there've been bad examples of New Zealand companies doing that, and I think there've been good examples where they've been smart at being able to kind of hang on to the IP in New Zealand and really uh, utilise the kind of uh, scale that they get from from pushing sort of manufacturing and some of those design facilities um, or, or functionalities overseas. Yeah, I saw um, in the NBR they uh, they referenced. Uh, uh, a goal to be producing between one and two thousand of these self-driving electric uh, buses annually within uh, within five years. So that's quite a high production. Would have been absolutely awesome from uh, you know New Zealand perspective if those things could be manufactured here. But yeah, you know, we know that there's there's such a, a gap between the cost of manufacturing now uh, in New Zealand and and some of these markets. Um, it, yeah, it's it's understandable why they would uh, why they would look look elsewhere. Um, unfortunately, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. And um, I mean, th- those would be fantastic numbers. I think if they could get to that, that's um, yeah, w- w- what an amazing achievement that would be for a for a Kiwi company. Mm. Well, for any company, it's, yeah, uh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, new products. Uh, mentioned the Fitbit uh, Versa a, a few weeks ago. Um, received one from the the Fitbit uh, folks. Uh, about a, a week or so ago, and uh, just been just been trying it out. And uh, look, there's so many wearable devices coming out now, and Fitbit still seem to be holding a pretty strong position in the market. But they've got you know they've got quite a quite a selection of uh, of products, and um, yeah, this just kind of adds another one to the mix. It's it it looks more like the um, the Apple Watch than anything else that they've done before. Um, longer battery life. I think I've been getting four, maybe five days um, out of it. So the there's a flip side though with a long long battery life. And Andrew, I notice you're uh, you're wearing something there as well. So you have to tell me about uh, your battery life in a minute. But what I notice is with a longer battery life, uh, you then can forget to charge it whereas actually if something needs to be charged more regularly you it's easy to get into that habit so i wonder whether i should uh, i should just be be charging whatever uh, you know smartwatch or, or wearable i have every day and then i, I never get into that uh, position of uh, you know of it of it running out because i've forgotten uh, what what have you got there? I've got a Garmin uh, Forerunner, uh, and I don't know exactly what you mean about the battery life. It is a it's a funny thing that once you move past that kind of you know, I think we got so used to with our our smartphones, you know, putting them to bed each night by plugging them in. Um, I find with my watch, I, I get a similar. I sort of get probably four to five days with this, um, and I find the same problem that I just sort of never get round to charging it and so now what I've resorted to now is I have the charger cable with me in the car and I tra- charge it as I drive to work or drive home because it's sort of the only time I'm sitting there and not wanting to measure some kind of functionality um, but uh, yeah it's certainly a pretty crowded space these uh, these smart watches these days and I think um, you know I've been reading some reports which say you know I think different companies have different strengths here there's sort of there's the social aspect the serious sort of runner aspect there's more the smart watch functionality aspect um, I think there's there's different people that are playing to different strengths in those different areas. Yeah, and look, we're, we're seeing a, an increase in terms of the, the sensors. Uh, I saw something come through from Garmin today. They just um, announced their new one, uh, the Phoenix or Phoenix uh, F-E-N-I-X uh, 5 Plus, uh, which has got um, maps, music, and um, also uh, payment that have been uh, added in there. And I think another... Um, another sensor as well sort of added to the mix that seems to these seem to be quite uh, quite high-end ones because they're talking about retail price here uh, between 15 and 1900 in New Zealand so that's certainly uh, up there <laughs> pro- probably for those that are that are doing some uh, some you know fairly uh, serious maybe uh, uh, Iron Man type things and um, you know wanting wanting to I think there's there's a there's a sensor that gives you some indication 
uh, around oxygen levels if you're you know wow. if you you're up in the up in the mountains and uh, and and running some sort of interesting <laughs> indicators there so it's <laughs> very cool yeah i imagine in in those types of scenarios any uh, any help that you can get um you know is <laughs> is useful right i mean yeah i i that wouldn't be me i got to say <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you know, Garmin's always had a good name in terms of the more serious competitor end of the, the range, um, whereas I think, you know, Fitbin's done a really good job at uh, cornering the uh, market in terms of uh, the sort of more social, you know, the sharing, getting communities of people together and, you know, getting people to form challenges for how many steps they can do in a week and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think different people seem to play to different strengths um, within the kind of the sphere of smartwatches. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, look, Apple seem to you know be maturing in terms of what they're doing there there too. They're you know adding adding new features along the way, and uh, of course their their brand is um, is one that's that's you know helped them get some pretty good cut through into the market. Yeah, and I think you get a you get a complete ecosystem there, right? Uh, and if, if that's important, you know, kind of app integration and all those sorts of things. I think that's. That's kind of your your number one choice, I'd imagine. Um, so yeah, different, slightly different uh, use cases, I guess, for each kind of buyer. Mm. Yeah, and I'm quite, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this one, having built in, you know, maps and so on too. It uh, sounds uh, sounds pretty good, but yeah, probably not your uh, your average uh, use use case to be um, spending that sort of money on uh, on a smartwatch. No, no, I think you'd uh, you'd have to you'd have to get uh, Extra extra special permission from uh, whoever controls the finances at home to be able to spend on that uh, that, that that kind of range. Yeah. Oh, the other product I meant to mention is um, Fitbit. They've got uh, their Aria Two, which is their Wi-Fi uh, scales. And I was a bit curious about these, so I pinged them and said, "Oh, look, you know, when you've got one, can you you know send one over for review?" And they didn't. They didn't send one over, and I, you know, ping them back. Oh, we, you know, we don't have any at the moment. I did a bit of googling online, and the reviews of them weren't very good. People were saying, oh, the, you know, the Wi-Fi is rubbish, and you know, connected, but then it disconnected. And I thought, oh, well, let's, uh, you know, let's let's try one out. So I went and uh, went and bought some, and look, I haven't had any problems with them at all. That's that actually seem uh, seem pretty good. Now, in terms of how you know accurate. Uh, they are. They um, they they're certainly suggesting that they're you know they're at the at the really top end of the market as far as their accuracy. Um, they've also got the and I forget the name of the the sensor, but it, it you know puts a sort of a, a pulse through you. And one of the one of the smartwatches did this as well to work out you know how much your fat content is in your body. Um, so it does that as well. So um, they say they're not for use by children under maybe 12 and i think it's be, you know because of that i don't think they'll do any harm they're mm. not going to you know zap zap your child if your child jumps on uh but in terms of actually storing that information because i think those readings are probably less accurate for um you know people that are a little bit lighter um but it seems to seems to work reasonably well and it syncs up over wi-fi yeah i mean i think look it's just another growing i guess those growing range of sensors that are gathering information and you know, logging it back to some centralized system. Uh, I think you know some people love that and love the convenience of it and what you can do with the kind of analysis and visualization. I guess uh, others find it terrifying. Um, you know, I think it, it'll you know some people love it, some will hate it. But um, I, I think it's certainly pretty cool. You know, for those people that uh, for that's important. Um, you know, I think a very interesting idea and interesting to hear that it's working well because certainly I'd read those reviews as well, which sort of suggested. I'm always slightly suspicious of those uh, connected products. I think um, sometimes they can be more of a curse than a blessing if they don't just work consistently all the time. So uh, good to hear that your experience was a positive one. Well, some sometimes it comes down to waiting and you get firmware updates and eventually they fix up the, these products. Um, GoPro sent me the, the new uh, GoPro... Uh, what is it? The the six anyway. The um, I'm trying to remember the word that fits in, but in between um, anyway, we'll just call it the GoPro six. Uh, at the you know when it when it launched, and I had you know had a few little little oddities uh, with it, but they've kept releasing firmware updates, and yeah, works works really well now. I've got to say, um, mm. and the oddities there weren't there weren't. Uh, 
Hero, that was the word I was looking for, the GoPro Hero yeah. 6. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so in a lot of cases those things get fixed up, but it can have quite big sort of reputational damage. Mm. And uh, you know, I guess... Yeah, particularly with startups, it's that sort of choice. Do you, you know, do you launch this product that's reasonably good and it's going to make a lot of people happy, or do you wait another three to six months until you can get it working, you know, almost flawlessly, and then you're you're going to get really good reviews? Uh, that's that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? And I guess it's something you probably have to uh, think about with uh, with TVNZ and some of the things that you're developing in terms of well, what's what's the right time to push this out into the market. Absolutely, I know. I think being in the software development game, it's always that challenge of balancing, you know, speed to market with quality, um, which has, you know, been a been a challenge from day one, and I suspect will continue to be a challenge forever in the software game. Um, I guess it, you know, when, when you've got a website, it's a little easier. It's sort of easier to update more, uh, you know, often. Uh, but yeah, when when you've got to, you know, cut some firmware for a product that you have to ship, can be a bit more uh, a bit more challenging, uh, and it's certainly. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've I've uh, dabbled with a, a number of Kickstarter campaigns, and I'd have to say I've I've been a little bit put off for life because I generally I would say almost a hundred percent of the things I've ended up getting have have erred towards the you know they're running so late by the time they finally feel pressure to ship that they ship and the quality's just not there and it never quite works. Um, and then you know if you, if you've got the patience and you can wait as you say for those firmware updates, um, often it, it, well, sometimes they can come right, sometimes they don't. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is certainly a challenge. Um, I guess it's the uh, it's the downside of always wanting to be on the bleeding edge. If you if you wait a little bit for the uh, you know for the for the point two or the point three uh, software release, a lot of those shipping bugs are often been uh, ironed out by then. Yeah, the challenge though of the hardware is just yeah shoddy from the get go yeah. though, right? There's yep. uh, uh, often not too much that can be done about that. Uh, now, also in in the news, heard that uh, Kaspersky, who uh, you know, Russian antivirus and cybersecurity vendor, have been getting uh, extra attention. And we know on the US side that yeah, the Americans have sort of been making life difficult for uh, Kaspersky, uh, whether whether that's you know fair or not. I think is is open to some debate, and I've you know seen things from both directions. Uh, but you know they. they they didn't help themselves by uh, allowing um, some American devices to be compromised via their uh, via their software. Um, all, all, you know, although they, um, yeah, they've, they've, yeah, I, I, well, I don't know how you can really get yourself off the hook on that if you're a if you're a cybersecurity company. But um, the the latest is the European uh, Parliament has uh, approved a, a motion which is you know basically in, encouraged um, uh, EU um, states to um, uh, you know put in place new policies that you know ultimately will um, will will make it much harder for uh, Kaspersky to uh, to operate in the in the EU. So. Um, yeah, the sort of walls are closing in a little bit on um, on Kaspersky. Um, and I, I met with Eugene Kaspersky actually when he was here um, last year, and um, yeah, very very interesting uh, character. Um, but you just don't really know what what pressures there might be from uh, um, you know Putin and 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 others uh, that uh, yeah mean he he has some uh, extreme challenges to deal mm. with, I suppose. I felt a little sorry for them on this one. I think, um, you know, reading the news stories, there wasn't, uh, I think the suggestion was that the European Union hadn't really been able to point to any hard and fast evidence um, linking them to the Russian government. They just sort of said they seem Russian. You know, we've got issues with Russia at the moment. Uh, we, we we think there's something fishy here, um, which I suppose is a bit harsh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult for them in this case to really clear their names. It seems to be a lot of supposition and merely the fact that they're, they're based in Russia. I, I noticed that they're... Um, they're promising to move their headquarters to Switzerland, I think, to try and uh, dissociate themselves from Russia, the country. But, um, yeah, I mean, as you say, I think it's impossible to tell what kind of pressure pressure, um, pressure there's coming on those sorts of companies to mm. to do things that the Russian government wants them to do. Yeah, I do. I do wonder about the uh, the move to Switzerland. You know, how would you get that right? Do you do you <laughs> completely rebrand to? You know, ownership structure needs to change. You know, what would what would need to change to to get back the confidence mm. when you've got 
uh, yeah, the EU and the Americans, um, you know, really saying stay stay clear of of this stuff. And look, you know, I think uh, certainly in in the past, the the reviews around their technology and and their their approach to things has has mostly been uh, been very positive, mm. but. I guess it's that thing, you know. You um, um, you can lose your reputation, you know, very quickly, and it's very very hard to get it back. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how they're going to get it back. I think, um, you know, short of a, as you say, a complete renaming, re ownership, re everything. At which point, you know, they're not really conspiracy anymore. They're almost starting again. So, um, yeah, I I think it's going to be a, a big uphill battle from them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, close to home uh, network for for learning and uh, chorus have been working together, um, and uh, in conjunction with um, Taka Trust uh, in uh, in I think um, Hutt, Hutt Valley, and it looks or Lower Hutt, um, and it looks like that they're doing some exploration around uh, sharing the internet connectivity uh, that Network for Learning deliver to the schools out to their students in their homes uh, with Wi-Fi being part of that uh, part of that mix so yeah it's, it's very curious I'm certainly keen to hear a little bit more around the realities of you know how do you do this and uh, you know with with chorus uh, being being a part of uh, part of that you know I guess they would uh, they prefer to be plugged in than have somebody else, um, you know, disrupting their need to to deliver connectivity uh, out into uh, out into the community. But it's a an interesting approach delivering that um, uh, internet connectivity that Network for Learning deliver through their network, which is, you know, I guess basic you know standard internet content, but with a with a level of sort of filtering to um, uh, to block what might not be appropriate for uh, you know youngsters' eyes and ears and minds and, and so on um, and also some extra uh, bits and pieces that, that, that they offer um, on their network over and above the sort of standard internet offerings. Yeah, no, certainly very interesting. I mean, I, I think I come at this as from two perspectives. One as a as a dad of an 11, a 13 and a 15-year-old, um, certainly very relevant. I know the challenges of, uh, you know, trying to trying to monitor the internet at home and, uh, and, and the amount of equipment you need to put in these days, I think, to try and do that safely. Um, and certainly, you know, looking at the the way the kids are learning in a very digital way at the moment, I think, um, you know, you do really realise that uh, for, you know, in homes where there isn't internet and there isn't a lot of devices and there isn't Wi-Fi, um, you know, you can really see a divide starting to develop there, you know, a pretty significant one. Um, and so I think, you know, anything that can be done to uh, to kind of help kind of bridge that is, is going to be a... A huge thing for for learning, you know, throughout New Zealand, and for really equalising that learning across different sort of socio-economic groups. Um, and I think from another perspective, you know, as someone who who spent a number of years uh, as a as a school trustee and a, and a chairman of a board, um, you know, Network for Learning does a fantastic job, really trying to bring that um, internet service to schools. I think. Um, you know, you look at the complexity that schools have now in terms of their internet service. Um, you know, they're trying to deliver the scale that really only applies to big enterprises for a very small budget, um, and and generally with you know limited technical capacity. And so, I think you know that they do a fantastic job delivering that in the schools environment. And so, yeah, really exciting to see that they are looking to expand that outside of the schools to to help into those sort of homes where where digital learning might be a challenge. Yeah, well, you know, for me, the um, yeah the the network for learning you know concept had a lot of promise. I haven't delved in too deeply to uh, you know all the ins and outs of of what they provide over and above giving that connectivity to the schools, which is I think uh, yeah really really good uh, that schools can get access, they can tap into a fast internet connection. It doesn't cost them mm. anything uh, to have that, and the idea of getting it out more broadly. Yeah, I mean. That's uh, that seems 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 very uh, very positive. I'm I'm kind of curious what the world will look like in terms of how we approach giving that sort of equal and fair playing field to uh, to youngsters in the mm. future because good internet connectivity will become more and more important and you know it already already is so and you know I think there's uh, you know standards around getting water and, and electricity to people and you know, we're, we're in a position where you know for a very large majority of the country there's 
pretty reasonable internet access and for those that haven't got it it, it you know will be will be coming over the the next few years ahead and you know I think the government's uh, you know direction on on those things has been has been really positive for for New Zealand uh, but yeah how you how you deliver that uh, to those that maybe would struggle to afford it um, it's it's a little bit challenging actually in terms of what's the right approach you know what would it look like for a country just to deliver internet high speed internet to everybody for free um you know probably not too realistic any time in the in the short term to do that so yeah um an an approach to at least get it out to uh to students and to be trialing that and i'm uh, i'm very curious where it will go yeah no definitely something to keep an eye on because i think it's uh, as you point out you know it is it is soon going to become almost a, a human rights really access mm. to you know, and it's going to be an important part of education to have access to to fast internet. And so, seeing how that ends up rolling out will be uh, will be fascinating. Mm. Um, now, I did I sent you a link to this one. Um, the 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 headline uh, in Slate dot com. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out. A star clarinet player got offered his dream scholarship. His girlfriend hijacked his email and turned it down. <laughs> kind of says it all, really, doesn't it? Um, what does that say to you around cybersecurity and uh, sharing passwords? In, in, it just, I, I read the, read the story and it was uh, yeah, it was a bit heartbreaking for uh, uh, you know f- for this chap who's um, you know opportunities. Uh, were 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 in tatters, and I think the um, what is now the ex girlfriend even uh, you know faked a message back to him to to tell him that he had been uh, you know declined from uh, from the scholarship and maybe had an opportunity to another one, but at such a such a low level that he wouldn't have been able to afford to uh, uh, participate. Um, but look, there's always cybersecurity things going on, and uh, you know, it's just a and for me, it was a another example of. Yeah, we have to be uh, have to be wise around. Um, yeah, even even sharing your own passwords with those that are that are very close to you, maybe. Yeah, no, it, it's a fascinating one. I did. I mean, you know, you can have a chuckle at it, but I guess uh, you know you have got to feel sorry for the guy involved. Um, and I think it's really interesting just how um, you know the communication is sort of evolving. Um, you know, and I think we we're still really grappling with how how that evolves as we move from sort of, you know, once upon a time that information would have been delivered in a letter and you would have probably filled in a form and sent back a form, uh, you know. Is that any more or any less secure? I guess, you know, maybe people can intercept your mail, your physical mail. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it really interests me. I think, um, you know, we're sort of still strong, struggling to grapple with, uh, you know, as we kind of move more from physical mail being delivered to it coming electronically, how do we how do we put some of those security provisions in, in place and how do we kind of replace, I guess, some of the feeling of security? Because I sometimes wonder whether it's actual security of the of the physical letter with replicating that in an online world it's um it's a real challenge yeah and and look you know i guess the the thing for me around password sharing is is mostly from a you know a business sort of mindset of you know hey look no you don't take your business password and and share it with you know somebody else you work with or 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 a family member that is specific to you but you know i guess it becomes a little bit blurrier when mm. you're dealing with with personal things i mean yeah you, your example of well if this thing had come in the mail you know uh, some somebody else in the house could have uh, could have potentially opened it as well and uh, um, and done exactly the same thing. So uh, you know, in, in that case, you might have seen a, yeah, a very a very similar uh, outcome, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I uh, I received uh, yesterday or the day before a, a jury summons by by letter, um, and uh, and there was an opportunity to fill in the form and send it back by email, which I always appreciate rather than having to actually, you know, put it in an envelope and mail it. But it really got me thinking about, you know, when are we going to have the day when those sorts of things will actually arrive by email, which I guess then implies that there's some sort of, you know, uh, I guess national level database being held of people in their emails. And, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, I feel like we're sort of only partially way down the journey of migrating from a, from a society where you know email, you know physical addresses and electoral rolls and things like that are all tied back to that, to a society more where that's tied back to a virtual online presence, and then and then yeah, all sorts of issues around how you how you secure that. 
Yeah, well, I, I had um, had had to go through a couple of uh, processes recently. One to do with setting up a, a new company, another one for um, uh, a board that I'm on, and uh, you know, in, in both cases there were uh, bank accounts involved, and so two different banks. So I had to go through the um, uh, the they call it the AML process, the anti money laundering process. And uh, with with one bank, even though I've been a customer for well, in fact, both both banks I've been a customer for a very long time, but you have to have this AML verification every X number number of years. And so the first one said, "Well, you know, look, you you're not you're not current," and um, so I needed to uh, I needed to jump through these hoops. And interestingly, with that bank, um, you know, I think I I just. Um, uh, I think this was just probably just after I'd gone through and and done a mortgage with them. That was no problem. But to set up this new uh, uh, you know new bank account, oh no, for you know for for that the you know the the uh, the legislation states you know you must do X mm. Y Z, and so um, yeah, they were asking for various sort of you know proof of address. And um, yeah, getting quite close to uh, close to uh, moving. And anyway, they they said, "Well, what we can do is we can send a letter out to your your address, and um, then you just need to bring that in, and that proves you're you're at this address." Which, yeah, it sort of sort of sort, <laughs> sort, sort of does, but there are certainly ways you could get around that. Um, so anyway, I went ahead and did that process. That was with um, ASB. Uh, anyway, I went into Westpac and um, haven't actually followed up where 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 this one's at and whether the process has been completed. But uh, um, you know, they they were insisting that I you know bring in utility bills and whatnot. And yeah, you know, I said I, I don't get anything in the mail. What are you what are you talking about? Um, and then they said, oh, we can verify you off the. Um, um, the company's office register, and I said, "Oh, really? So if the address is in there, you can—that's enough for you to verify." Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's quite sufficient. Um, I said, "Oh, okay." So um, while while they were, you know, they needed ten or fifteen minutes to go in and 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 look at that. Um, I went in, and they were looking at one particular you know, company registration, which had my old wrong address and I told them look that's not where I actually live now they said oh that doesn't matter at all um doesn't you know it doesn't have to be your current address it's just it's just what's in the database to tick the box sort of thing uh I'm just thinking oh this is ridiculous so anyway the 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 new uh the new company I went through and updated that to uh to my new address on the spot um so I could have put in any any address whatsoever I did get a call back um yeah some some days later from uh uh the person within Westpac who was res- you know responsible for this particular thing but yeah I I don't actually know where the process is, <laughs> is completed the call at that stage they'd suggested that it there was still something to do um but yeah I but I, there was no way I could convince the Westpac staff that it could be at all within their uh, their remit or responsibility to send a letter for me to, you know, to to me to prove my address. They they basically said there's no way we're we're going to do that. Um, so uh, yeah, I had to um, yeah. Well, we we'll, we will see. But uh, yes, some some of these uh, take time to catch up with modern technology. I think aren't as easy as they as they should be. Um, now on the front of not being so easy, um, streaming <laughs> sports. Seems to be a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge as well. So, um, um, yeah, we've just just had uh, another drama on on that front. Now this time it's not Sky, um, it's uh, Optus in Australia who basically signed up the uh, uh, the world the World Cup FIFA World Cup, and um, they've got some pretty unhappy customers not being able to uh, not being able to stream. And in an interesting um, uh, situation, uh, SBS, which I guess SBS have got some similarities to TVNZ, haven't they, in terms of being a you know government-owned um, uh, broadcaster in, yep. in Australia. 
who they originally had the FIFA World Cup rights and then did a bit of a bit of a shuffle uh, with Optus, who took the the the, the lead on it, and uh, SBS basically you know broadcasting some of the uh, some of the matches in Australia. But uh, Optus have not been able to deliver a consistent stream, and so uh, SBS have. Uh, jumped in, I think, started broadcasting uh, and uh, and and streaming games. So, uh, yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts on this? Have you? Um, I mean, you you must understand a bit about the underlying uh, technologies. You've obviously got you know apps in place here, which sit on you know phones and tablets and. Uh, smart TVs and Apple TVs and and the like. Uh, you've got your internet connectivity, which we know is is you know usually a, a step back or two what we have in New Zealand when when you're in Australia. Uh, and then you've got your content distribution networks and um, other you know bits of software that um, that tie it all all together. Where where do you have to get this right? I suppose it's in all all places have got to be working working flawlessly yeah absolutely i mean i think uh streaming you know it's, it's interesting because i think people are people are very keen to dive into the online world and you know particularly for for watching your, your shows when you get to choose them it's a it's a great place but uh, i think it can be a very unforgiving place when it comes to live sport particularly when it's a sport that has been watched by a lot of people um there really aren't, aren't, aren't too many options for getting it wrong um and so you know it, it is quite a challenge i think um the internet, uh, you know, wasn't really built from day one to to carry live video, um, and so it's sort of live videos have been a feature that's almost been retrofitted really into into the internet. Um, and so I think it, it it can certainly be a challenge. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there's there's just so many moving pieces here um, that you've got to get right. Um, from as you said, from from the apps, from making sure that kind of your your backend servers that are generally uh, providing information to those apps are right. Um, you're often got a some kind of uh, uh, you know, streaming platform that has to get it right, and then you know your content distribution network often carries the largest load because that's that's the thing that has to take this one stream that that a, that a broadcaster has sent it out and and be able to deliver it to you know tens if not hundreds of thousands of households. Um, that's actually a a pretty significant challenge. I think um, you know the guys that run those. Um, wrap up a lot of technical wizardry inside the service they offer um, to allow that to happen. Uh, and then, as you point out, all of this is being delivered over over the internet, um, which, you know, it varies. I think uh, we, we have it pretty lucky in New Zealand, from what I gather. Um, I think the Australians having a bit more of a struggle getting a decent uh, high-speed internet in place there. So, um, yeah, I mean, not not hugely surprised. I think, um, you know, often these things, um, these things can... Uh, can backfire quite badly uh, and particularly if it's an event like the FIFA World Cup there's a lot of press a lot of focus uh, it's not a good time for things to go wrong um, my, my understanding in this Optus case is that um, you know issues are in and around the CDN the content distribution network um, which doesn't surprise me as I said it's, it's a very complicated area um, I, I understand that if you're an Optus customer it's working pretty well for you and if you're not an Optus customer um, you, you're really struggling and um, I think that's that's kind of what you see when uh, you know particularly I think it's an Optus have gone for kind of a little bit of a homebrewed CD in there, um, and uh, and obviously it's not not quite working out. Um, from what I know about CDNs, I'd suggest that that is a problem that's going to take time to fix. Um, I would have thought so. This forty eight hours uh, window where they've said, "Look, we're going to basically hand the rights over to SBS to uh, distribute." Uh, the the World Cup for uh, for forty eight hours, and uh, hopefully we have it sorted by then. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting one, and you know, I think we, well, as we're recording this, we're, we're already, uh, um, you know, on the way through that. But I think you know, the first night they didn't have uh, great results, despite uh, Malcolm Turnbull sort of, you know, tweeting that he had assurances from the CEO of SBS. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few days. Yeah, I mean, I think the only the only option I could think of that they would do quickly was actually um, switch to a different content distribution network, um, conceivably get some help help delivering the content. Um, so maybe maybe they can make that switch in a in a hurry, and uh, and hopefully uh, Australians will be able to watch their uh, watch their World Cup like they like they hoped they were going to be able to watch it. Yeah, well, I um, I saw some uh, information that there were multiple apps that you could actually stream through and. And the worst app was the Optus Sport app. So if you used that, that was the one that was more likely to give you errors. There was a, another app which apparently was um, uh, basically from FIFA, but was you know re, rebranded uh, for them. And you could use your same login credentials, but on the 
uh, FIFA World Cup app and then actually find that that it worked well so you know i'm, I'm guessing that uh you know maybe one of those used the uh, uh a, a different cdn than the, than the other just different content distribution network um but yeah your uh, your credentials would would work across both so yeah i mean that, that would be my suspicion uh yeah. and so uh yeah i think it comes down to how important that cdn is and uh you know i guess switching that to a new zealand context um it's you know we've got the rugby world cup coming up next year um you know that the rights for that have gone to uh, have gone to spark and they're uh, they're looking at doing a, a purely online uh, option um with uh, with some of the games free to air on uh, tvnz but but the majority uh, streaming through the spark uh platform so um yeah i guess uh, i suspect the the the, uh, the powers that be at spark will be watching this with interest and uh, realizing what's on the line when it comes to uh delivering uh, sport over the internet I, I think so I've certainly been getting, getting the calls today uh, news talks there be this morning and then uh, you know TV TV3 sort of pop, popped in uh, during the day wanting, wanting to chat through that and um, yeah almost wonder whether you know people are, are hoping that they fail at this there's so so much attention on it whereas you know I guess my thought is look you 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 have these different incidences that we, we've had, and, and yeah, this is a pretty big one. Um, yeah, surely this puts enough of uh, um, you know attention on on what's at stake for uh, for Spark to make sure that they they deliver something really really good. But I guess we'll, we won't really know the realities in, uh, in, until we get there, will we? So no, I guess not. Um, you know, I think p- part of me would uh, would love to have the opportunity to to have the challenge of doing that streaming. Part of me is uh, totally terrified by the prospect. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm I'm happy. I, I am or I'm not. Spark. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's talk what's happening at TVNZ. Um, the the news that uh, you know, jumped up recently is your uh, new service. Hey hey. Uh, which is a, a digital service aimed at uh, youngsters. So maybe you could start by giving us a run through on what uh, what that's about. Absolutely. Um, so it's been a pretty exciting new product to work on at TVNZ. Um, it's uh, hey hey. In case people are wondering, H E I H E I Maori for chicken. Um, so kind of wanted a, um, a nice little uh, name for the service. Um, I guess um, New Zealand Air looked and saw there was a real um, kind of gap in the market. You know, young kids were um, were looking for digital entertainment of some sort. Um, often, largely going to YouTube um, to get that. Um, sometimes to, to Netflix, um, but uh, you know, not a, not a lot of New Zealand content available on those platforms. So, um, you know, I guess people can bring up concerns about, well, you know, should should kids be on these devices anyway? Um, you know, I think obviously there's going to be a, a sensible degree of kind of parental supervision uh, in terms of the amount of hours being done, you know, uh, expected here. But but I think the reality is kids are going to watch content online um, and, you know, we would rather that uh, that, that content had a good New Zealand flavour to it, um, promoted kind of New Zealand culture, New Zealand values, Māori language, those sorts of things. Um, so um, TVNZ partnered with New Zealand On Air um, to put together the Hey Hey platform, um, the idea of being a, uh, a platform of principally video but also um, some audio uh, and games targeted at five- to nine-year-olds, um, available initially um, iOS, Android and web uh, as, as the options. Um, completely advertising free, um, so being funded through, uh, through a grant from, uh, from New Zealand On Air. Um, and uh, and yeah, recently uh, gone live with that. Um, the apps are doing really well. They're um, kind of number one in the kids categories in the uh, in the various app stores in New Zealand. So um, we're really pleased with that. Uh, we're seeing you know good uptake in terms of uh, kids watching content. Um, and you know I think it really helps feed the local ecosystem because it is uh, you know of the of the fifty odd shows that are on there. I think about thirty eight of them are, are New Zealand content shows. Um, you know, and through working with New Zealand Air, um, TVNZ is kind of commissioning local producers to produce more local content um so yeah kind of a real uh, a real sort of win-win for everyone out of it i think yeah that's great and certainly the idea of um distributing good local content no ads is uh, probably pretty enticing to uh, uh to people for their kids and having it it's curated content so you know youtube and the like certainly there's some there's some challenges you just kind of don't know what what you might hit at any any time, right? Um, yet YouTube is is probably, uh, and you know these stats a lot better than I would, but is, is probably the place where uh, youngsters' eyeballs are, are looking more than more than anywhere else, uh, and uh, you know in terms of on screen. Absolutely. Um, so you know, I think as you say, really 
really pleased to provide a curated environment where um, parents feel comfortable. TVNZ brand behind it, um, they know the content's going to be good. Um, I guess on the on the technical side, there, um, I think we've been trying out a few new things. So um, we're using a company called uh, Brightcove to provide our video platform, um, and they've recently come up with a uh, technology called uh, Content Aware Encoding. Um, so I guess there's a there's a constant drive um, within the uh, with, with, within the online streaming world to try and get you know, the best quality for the the lowest bandwidth uh, and and really try and try and drive up quality, drive down bandwidth consumption. Um, so content aware encoding is, is is something that looks to address that. Um, it's a it's a two pass encoding technology, meaning that uh, when the when the when the video um, is being prepared for streaming, um, the system runs through it once, kind of literally watches it, uh, sees how complicated the video is, um, changes its settings, and then runs through it a second time and creates the files that are uh, the, the output files that are specially tweaked for that particular video um so we've seen some really good savings in terms of uh, the amount of bandwidth that it uses uh, sort of you know savings are up to 25 percent um and uh, and even more so it works really well with kind of more the cartoon content um it sort of fits really well with that um being able to really save bandwidth so in some cases you know we've seen savings of uh, of over 50 percent um so yeah i mean hopefully it's sort of a win-win everywhere um you know an exciting new technology um, we we get to deliver better quality video to our viewers, and and they get to pay less in their bandwidth costs for for streaming it. So um, yeah, it's, it was an exciting thing to try out. Yeah, that's good. And so, what sort of definition do you stream at? Um, so at the moment, um, we're still streaming, um, sort of not not quite in HD. A lot of that is around the um, the rights that we have available. Um, so um, some some of the shows we got rights to to do in HD. So some of those will be up to uh, seven twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that with cartoon, there isn't sort of more the cartoon um, content. There isn't a need to go much higher than that. You don't see mm. huge benefits um, yep. up above that. Um, but certainly, uh, it's something that we're looking at bringing across to um, TVNZ on demand um, as a way to deliver better quality there. Um, sometimes there's some rights issues about uh, whether we have the rights for various quality levels. But you know, I think we're we're driving to try and get as much of that content into HD as possible. And if we can uh, implement a technology like this, hopefully we can deliver it pretty efficiently to people's uh, homes Mm. so you know in terms of the things that you're working on can we expect a lot of you know ongoing new you know bits and pieces i think you know the varying ideas that people sort of throw around where's my you know 4k uh streaming uh why don't you give me uh you know all your content on demand for a small fee and and uh take take all those ads out um you know, what are the things that you're learning down these tracks? Because I guess you're, you know, always experimenting. You're trying new things. You're looking at what's happening uh, internationally. What are the the big learnings that you've had, um, you know, in, in recent times? And where do you think things are likely to, you know, progress? I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an exciting time. I'd certainly say that um, it's an exciting time to be in, be in our space because there's a lot of development going on. I think, um, you know, Netflix is really setting the bar for the watching of. Um, I guess some of that um you know drama and and that kind of content in, in an on demand sense um particularly in you know HD 4K 5.1 audio those sorts of things um you know those those sorts of rights all cost money so you know that they're they're obviously there's a cost to acquiring them but it's certainly you know I think with the bar being set there by Netflix it's things that TVNZ are definitely looking at we we recognize we need to need to move towards parity in those areas um I think in terms of some of the product offerings um yeah definitely Lots of thinkings about different ways that we could deliver TVNZ on demand. I mean, at the moment, it's an advertising-supported um, platform, but um, there's plenty of other options, uh, and those are all kind of you know in the mix at the moment and, and in discussion. Um, I think that um, you know there's a growing um, recognition that people are going to end up with their own kind of uh, their own menu, I guess, of online streaming services that they're using. Maybe um, you know there's an opportunity. I, you know, like I don't think it's a matter of displacing Netflix because I think. Um, you know that they're so big and their scale is is so vast that they're always going to be there. But I think um, you know as people perhaps move away from going with an all-in-one service like a, a Sky TV, for example, and move more towards sort of a, a suite of services, um, I think you know there are opportunities there to 
to make sure that TVNZ is is one of the or one of the uh, or, or a few of the services maybe um, you know if we if we launch some new services in uh, in that bundle of services that are uh, that are available uh, and so yeah I mean hopefully we can we can be in that in that consideration set um, that that people have and um, I, I think we're we're really banking on the fact that um, it's bringing that unique New Zealand angle that's going to keep us in consideration I think um, you know increasingly Netflix is going to come to rely on uh, on content that they commission and they generally are going to want to use that content worldwide and and so there's not going to be a lot of new zealand stuff on there um and uh and we feel pretty strongly that new zealanders are still keen on um seeing new zealand stories and being aware of you know of things that are going on in new zealand so you know hopefully that can remain the the key um sort of tvnz differentiator from from some of the other providers Mm, yeah well i think i think it is important that we you know we are getting not just getting you know fed stuff down a pipe from the, the u.s uh, but we're getting things that are local, that are relevant. You know, access to news I think is 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 important. And uh, yeah, we we could end up with a very different media landscape in in a few years' time if we don't uh, you know get this right, land on the the right uh, way of of bringing local content through. Uh, you know, in terms of um, you know the language uh, aspect, sort of multi-language content, I think is uh, is important to us as as well here. Um, so we we don't lose uh, you know that that aspect of um, of a culture. So yeah, I'm very curious how it will develop. Now, when we were chatting uh, earlier, you mentioned some testing that you did around these uh, these ads because we were sort of you know talk, talking a little bit about uh, about ads. And um, what can you share in terms of uh, in terms of that testing, yeah, I mean it's a really good question. I think ads obviously remain a little bit of the elephant in the room when you're talking about uh, you know a, a TVNZ on demand versus say Netflix. Um, it's interesting. I think um, you know YouTube's obviously had ads on it for a while. Um, they tend to be at the beginning with a with a counter that counts down sort of until you can skip them. And uh, TVNZ commissioned some research to look at when people are watching those ads, what are they actually looking at? And they got them to wear sort of Google Glass and track their eyeball positions. And, uh, and effectively all they do is they spend all their time staring at the countdown counter waiting for it to hit zero and they, until they can press skip. So clearly if you're an advertiser, you probably feel that wasn't a very cost-effective way to get your message across. Um, I mean, I think our research has shown us that um, people are, you know, there, there is some tolerance for ads um, as long as, um, you know, I think that they're, they're not annoying, they're not too loud, they don't repeat. And, and the number one thing people tell us is that they feel like they're more targeted to them. I think, um, you know, online gives you a really good opportunity for that. You generally, you know, th- through a login system, you generally know people's, you know, um, gender and, and age. Um, and so hopefully you can use that to target them ads that are more, um, you know, specific towards them than you'd see through sort of, you know, general generalised broadcast ads. Um so I think that's going to be a space that's going to continue to evolve. I think there's real interesting options for getting better at kind of hyper-personalisation of advertising. Um, I think, as again we were talking about earlier, there's a there's a fine line to where you've got to be careful that that doesn't cross into the sort of, you know, area where that feels a bit creepy and you're sort of getting into the uh, Facebook Cambridge Analytica type material. Um, but, you know, I think if people felt like they were getting a, a reasonably tailored set of ads of a reasonable quantity, there seems to be a um, you know a degree of happiness that, that or willingness to accept that that's the trade off for the for the service that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we we talked about yeah, that personalising of ads, and you did a little uh, little trial. I don't know what percentage of your viewership you did it with, uh, where you actually personalised uh, an advert and put somebody's uh, name in it. How did people respond respond to that? Because I you know I think with uh, Obviously, people that are using your TVNZ on demand service, they've signed up, so you know their, you know who they are, you know a few, well, you know a few bits and pieces about them. The name's one of them, um, so people have given you that information. But how did they respond? Were they quite pleased? They thought, oh, this is nice. It's so personal to me, or uh, or not? Yeah, we we did try that for a uh, a particular um, advertising campaign. We did this was a display ad, not a so a static ad on the website, not a not a video ad, but. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, despite the fact that we already know these people's names, um, there was from a few people, not not a huge number, but certainly from a few people, there was a little bit of a pushback when they saw their their name turn up inside the ad. I think it seemed to cross a little bit of a line for them. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a really interesting situation. I think um, you know, advertisers are it's a very congested market out there. Advertisers are doing whatever they can to try and stand out, and uh, and, and you know, we're trying to give them opportunities to do that. 
balancing that with our the kind of needs of our of our viewers. Um, obviously, in this in, in this case, the viewers some viewers felt that 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 wasn't what they wanted to see. Um, but it's going to be an interesting world. I think you know people are going to c- continue to try and evolve advertising solutions, but you know make sure that they don't cross that invisible and hard to sometimes read line into a space where people feel uncomfortable. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because yeah, for me. I you know I wonder whether well maybe maybe you you know you should ask some people or there are th- ways that you can figure it out because for you know some people they can get much more targeted advertising than they would they would really appreciate mm. that and so the opportunity to um, you know maybe go a little bit further down that track might well uh, might well suit some people with you know within within constraints uh, but yeah for other people they probably want it to be as uh, um, yeah, not um, not not quite so personal. Certainly, you know, putting somebody's name in a uh, in a video ad would uh, would scare some people. I know you, yeah, as you say, yeah. it was was a display ad rather than a video ad. But um, yeah, they start wondering whether you're uh, you know looking back uh, through the camera at them <laughs> or something. They wonder how you know. Well, it's interesting. We've heard of examples from I think it was from the UK where a company tried uh, tried the video ad, um, basically a personalised video ad, and so people were sort of sitting there and they got to the ads, and I guess you sort of look away a bit and. And, uh, you know, the, the ad suddenly said, hi, Paul. And uh, I think people just about <laughs> fell over at that point and thought, <laughs> what is going on here? So, yeah, I mean, it's a world you've got to be be really careful of. But, you know, I think there's there's real opportunities to get a lot better, you know, I mean, across the internet, but but I guess for our streaming service in particular about how this happens. I mean, I was hearing, hearing someone the other day give an example of, uh, you know, they went online looking for a, a wheelbarrow and um, and went out and bought one that day and then spent the next month getting barraged with adverts everywhere they went online for wheelbarrows, which, as they pointed out, was exactly the the least likely time in their life that they were ever going to buy a wheelbarrow. Um, And, you know, the the current way of internet advertising does sometimes feel a little bit like a sledgehammer, um, and I think there's just ways that it can get a lot more, you know, laser-focused in in how we target and and Mm. doing a lot more sensibly. Yeah, yeah. So, sort of, you know, coming up for you, new platforms, you know, bits and pieces. What, you know, what sort of things should we expect you to be focused on? I think, um, you know, obviously, um, TVNZ getting the rights for the America's Cup was pretty exciting for us. Um, I mean, that's a little ways off, but certainly indicates a, um, a keenness to get back, like we did with the Commonwealth Games, into the into the sports area. So, um, we're pretty excited about that um, and that opportunity. More of the more of the sports, um, you know, more, more sports. I think um, also being you know being the free to air partners for Spark for the Rugby World Cup is a is another exciting thing. Um, you know, doing the doing the free to air part of that. Um, and then yeah, I mean you know as as we discussed earlier, continuing to look at options in terms of uh, evolving you know new products, new offerings. Um, all of those are currently uh, under wraps and under discussion, but uh, hopefully we'll have have some things we can uh, launch in the market in the in the months ahead. Mm. Oh. It seems like you're working uh, working hard, and uh, um, it won't be too quiet for too long. And we'll we'll hear some 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 more news. No, no, I think uh, this is certainly one space at the moment where you can guarantee that the uh, the pace of news is gonna is gonna keep coming. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And um, I should mention for those that are uh, uh, interested in what's going in uh, on in in this area, the um, there's a conference coming up. The Media Tech Pacific conference uh, is coming up in. Uh, it's either end of July or beginning of August. I think it's the very beginning of uh, August, if I remember correctly. Yes. So um, yeah, just uh, that's one to one to have on your on your radar. Um, and I'll be uh, starting to prepare my closing keynote very soon. So uh, yeah, hey, well, thanks everybody for listening in. Oh, one last product that we were going to mention uh, this week is um, Huawei have launched a new smartphone, the Nova Three E. And uh, I think they're launching it exclusively on Spark. That's my pick because Spark uh, sent this one across. But very interesting looking at the phone. You've seen it there, Andrew, as well. Um, looks, looks it, not uncannily like an iPhone X in some it's, ways. it's amazing isn't it how how similar it looks to the iPhone uh, 10 in terms of this you know display that covers um, pretty good chunk of the front of the the phone you've got um, uh, the the addition you've got is the fingerprint reader on the back which is like you know I think the big missing thing from the iPhone uh, T- 10. 10. Yeah. Are you using an iPhone 10? I'm not. I'm currently got an 8, so I haven't quite gone yeah, for the yeah. brave world of face recognition yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've got a colleague who uses it, and uh, 
he started off with a beard on and uh, now has a beard off and uh, swears that it, it recognises him flawlessly. So oh, okay, that's, that's <laughs> maybe it does the trick. <laughs> make, make, makes a difference. Um, but it's really interesting because this is um, obviously a lower end phone because they're selling it at four hundred ninety nine dollars. Wow. Um, but it it really uh, does look like a you know a, a very high end phone, and we we've kind of you know I think we we get we're starting to get sent more of these mid range uh, phones. And um, in fact, I think it was Spark that sort of shared the stats that, that so many more people are now buying mid-range phones rather than feeling that they've got to buy, you know, at at the top, uh, the top end to get a, a pretty good phone. And it used to be the mid-range range phones were were okay; they didn't look that nice and so on. But mm. now, I mean, the the look and feel of them um, seems to be you know right up there with a yeah, whatever a high-end phone is, which I guess varies from sort of, you know, twelve hundred, you know, thousand, twelve hundred, you know, right up towards two thousand for, uh, you know, for the for the the biggest and latest models with lots of uh, lots of storage. So, um, it's kind. Of, I guess it's kind of nice if you don't want to drop so much money down on a phone, <laughs> you get you get uh, you get something a bit nicer for your money. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, good to, good to have a range of choices available. Yeah, yeah, um, and there's, we, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the Motorola ones coming into New Zealand, and um, uh, they've got a couple of other models that I'll um, I'll look through over the next uh, couple of weeks, and we'll we'll talk about those. But uh, yeah, nice to have a bit more of a bit more of a choice in that mid range. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, for listening in. Um, now. Andrew, if anyone wants to to get in touch, whether it's I don't know a, a software developer who thinks they would love to love to work for you or whatnot, uh, how do people track you down? Uh, so uh, you can uh, you can probably uh, I'm, I'm not, not not a great Twitter person, but uh, certainly uh, email uh, andrew.blakey at uh, tvnz.co.nz. Find me there. Excellent, excellent. That's good. And uh, yeah, people can track me down on uh, Twitter or, or Facebook or uh, or LinkedIn. And uh, always welcome to uh, to do so. All right, thanks everyone. We'll catch you next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.